Hey, real quick, would you like to join me for a fun and super practical challenge to increase your online visibility? The Visibility Kickstarter Challenge is hosted by my friend Alina Vincent, who, if you don't know, she is the queen of online challenges. <clears throat> and that means that this is going to be one of the most actionable, value-packed, and fast-to-implement challenges that you have ever been a part of. I recently used her challenge method in my last launch, and it was the most effective challenge we have ever run, and it was easier than any, ever, any challenge we've ever run uh, as well. It is completely free, so if you want to join me, I'll be there. Head over to jenlaner.com forward slash 084 to sign up. And again, that's jenlaner, L-E-H-N-E-R.com forward slash 084. Hey, hey, it's Jen Laner here, and you are listening to the Front Row Entrepreneur Podcast, episode number four. James Altucher is an entrepreneur, writer, and podcaster. He's founded 20 companies, has had huge successes and equally huge losses, going from $15 million at one point in his life to $143 in a matter of months. He lost his house, his friends, everything. So he started a blog where he wrote honestly about his experience, and the blog became a huge success with post titles like, I want my kids to be drug addicts and I want to die. Today, he's the author of a dozen books, including Choose Yourself, which Business Week named one of the 12 best business books of all time, and a podcaster with guests like Seth Godin, Coolio, and Wayne Dyer. And I cannot believe he's on my podcast, but he's actually the reason that this podcast exists. If you listen to episode one, then you heard the whole story, but it went down like this. I was out for a walk listening to James interview Gary Vaynerchuk on his podcast. When out of the blue, Gary says this. Listen, honestly, left turn. Here, here's what we're doing. I'm going to do something wild right now because I can feel it. It just bubbled up. If you are start, if you are listening right now and you actually start your first two episodes of a podcast because of this, around whatever, I don't give a fuck, jelly, you know, uh, sneakers, um, you know, buying, if you start this, I'll definitely love it, going to garage sales, buying stuff and flipping it, you know, whatever it is, you know, if you do it off of this, because we know the date this will air and I can see and I'll do the homework, hit me up on Twitter, say, hashtag I started Gary V, right? Or I want James in it. Gary V and James, I started. Long hashtag because I need to filter them. But if you've actually taken the first step and have done two episodes of your podcast, I will come and make surprise five minute appearances on all of them. All right, I will match you on that as well. I did already have plans for launching a podcast, but in several months, not that day. But what kind of front row entrepreneur would I be if I didn't seize on this opportunity? So I ran home, I locked myself in my office to create a podcast. I learned how to record and edit and publish. I got it up on iTunes and Stitcher and all the places. And then the hard part started. I had to get their attention. So I tweeted the announcement of my podcast to each of them several times, and I enlisted the support of my audience to retweet me every time that I tweeted those guys. 
James was the first to respond that he was on board. And yesterday, Gary V announced that he's in too. I get to interview him in January. So here it is, my interview with the brilliant and very kind James Altucher, the first interview of my entire life. But let's just get right into it, okay? Let's go for it. Okay. Um, so, James, uh, well, I listen. What? So, Jen, first, what? tell me about yourself. Who, who, what, what do you do? So, I'm a digital marketing strategist, is what I call myself. And I just basically teach people how to use social media and digital marketing to grow their businesses. But my big message is. And that's why you're, when you had Gary Vee on your podcast, it was so cool and so meant to be like everything that transpired at that time is because what you guys were talking about is definitely the message that I bring to my audience, which is my online community is called The Front Row. My podcast that I started because I was inspired by your podcast is called The Front Row Entrepreneur. And it's really, you know, the message is not new. It's just, you know, carpe diem seize the day, you know, don't squander all these incredible tools that we all have at our fingertips to, um, to be remarkable. If you want to be remarkable, you know, if you have a message to share with the world, if you have something to teach people, um, these tools are out there and the playing field is more or less leveled. And there's absolutely no reason why you can't go after your dreams and really and truly have a chance to to grab the brass ring. So when I was walking along, I'm listening to the podcast, had no intentions of doing anything other than walking my dog. And then out of the blue, Gary Vaynerchuk says, hey, I, I have an idea. Anybody who starts a podcast right now does two episodes and can prove that they did. Um, then I'll be on their podcast. And then you chimed in and said, yeah, me too. <laughs> so here I am. Here you are. And it's, it's, it really is truly incredible. So I started the podcast and you are episode number four because I had to practice doing it and just sort of like the technology and all of that. And so, yeah, so I could not be more thrilled. And it really is exactly, exactly the perfect example of like, being a front row kind of a person, taking an opportunity uh, when you see it and sort of trying, you know, making it happen. And I, it was basically what Twitter and I tweeted you and I sent you a couple of DMs. And yeah, so here you are. And, you're, and you were very, you were very polite. I had to, I had to reschedule, I think at least once. And you were very gracious about it. I really appreciate it. You being respectful about the time and everything. No, of course. I mean, I can only imagine how busy you are. We're going to get into that because I, I need to understand how you, how you do all that you do in just a regular human day. And yeah, you have a lot going on. So of course, of course, uh, I was just, I'm just thrilled to death to have you here. I'm, I listened to your podcast. I've read several of your books, but for the listeners who are not familiar uh, with your, with your work, can you catch us up? Yeah, sure. I mean, I do a lot of different things. You know, I write books, I do a podcast, I run some businesses, I'm, I'm invested in a lot of businesses. And um, so I'm really kind of, I have kind of a, a in the weeds view of business. And I, I hate to use the word self-improvement, but let's call it peak performance instead. And also a bird's eye view, because I get to talk to so many fascinating people on my podcast 
about what it takes to achieve peak performance. And then of course, in all of my activities that I do, I try to improve every day and I try to do the, the best I can every day. And it's difficult. It's, it's hard to do good things. And, but at the same time, I mean, that's an important thing to know because I think people think, oh, you know, it, it, people don't realize how difficult it is to do very, you know, to do the things that it takes to be successful. And at the same time, I always like to think that no one is going to, I don't like to think this, but this is the reality. No one is going to pick me for success. I have to pick me for success. I have to earn, earn it. And part of earning it is, and, and you know, and so many times I didn't earn it and, and whatever money or success I gained, I kind of squandered away. I, I ended up broke and frustrated and, and alone. And I had to kind of start from the basics, which was just taking care of yourself, like almost like an extreme kind of self care. And so that involved being, you know, at the basics, you know, physically taking care of myself, emotionally taking care of myself, meaning don't be around toxic people at all. N not being around toxic people is even more important than being around good people. <laughs> and even just as important is, um, my creative health. So I have to be creative and try to even be better creative every day. And then my spiritual health, which doesn't mean necessarily, I mean, everybody could, has their own definition of spirituality, but it could mean something as simple as just simply taking care of, um, you know, just being respectful of the things you can't control. And, and that's kind of an easy way to move through obstacles. If you understand which obstacles you can control and which obstacles you can't, you save a lot of time and, and energy. Everything's about conserving energy so that the hardest parts of success you have the energy for. And so I, I would say that's kind of like a, a message that I like to share. And, um, you know, and then, I, and then from that flows everything that I do. What are the hardest parts of success? I think there are many things like, you know, like, let me ask you, Jen, like what's, what's your favorite hobby? I guess cooking, exercising, running. Well, take, take cooking as a great example. What are the different skills you need to know in order to cook a great meal? I mean, there's so many skills. And that's just it. And, and, and it's not just putting two pieces of bread in a toaster <laughs> and making a ham sandwich. I mean, that will feed somebody, but, uh, to actually make a great meal, you have to understand all about, you know, all the different kinds of ingredients and meats and portions and how to use all the equipment and timing and how you let things, you know, the difference between letting things marinate and not marinating, how to follow the instructions in a cookbook and when not to follow them, all the different extra things great cooks do. I don't even know. I, I was reading recently a great chef can, can tell another great chef by simply how they cook eggs. And there's all these different sub skills involved in success. There's no one skill. There's, yeah. So, well, let me, so on that note, like you, you kind of are, I'm sure I'm not the first person to call you like a Renaissance man, but it really is astounding to me. And obviously the people who like 
who read your work, who, who listen to your podcast. I mean, we're not seeing your whole day. Like, I don't know how you carve out your month and I don't know how you carve out your day, but, um, you know, you're a master. What do you call it when the chess master? What is, what's the actual title? Yeah. Chess master. Yeah. So you're a chess master. You're an author. Uh, you're, you're, you're just, you just, you know, all this stuff about finance and you've built and sold companies and now you're teaching people about cryptocurrency and you know, all these things and, and you don't just know a little bit, like you, you seem to be an expert on all these things and now technology and podcasting and you're, you're becoming a, 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 a comedian, like a stand up comic. So, oh yeah. And how many books do you read a day or a week? I do want to know that. Probably like five or six. So I don't understand. Like what, can you just walk me through your day? Like you wake up at what time and then, and then walk me through just a typical day. You know, the problem is it, there's, it, it used to be very set. I used to have a very set routine. So I can tell you that. The, I used to wake up at like around 5, 5.30. I would read for two hours and I would start writing for about four hours. And so by then I would have written something that I thought was good and I might publish it at that point. And then I would deal with business because I think writing is harder than business. So business is just calling people up and saying, hey, how's it going? And what help do you need from me? And then uh, I would try to relax and do things that are fun and, and you know, improve skills or, or maybe read some more and, and spend time with people I, I love and respect. And um, that used to be my day. And I did that day kind of day for many years. And now my day is a little different because, like you said, I, I am trying to get better at stand-up comedy. So, for instance, this week at night – I'm doing stand-up comedy six out of seven days this week. Uh, in fact, tonight's the only night I'm not doing stand-up comedy. But last night, I got home at like 10.30 p.m., which would be, since I like to sleep, sleeping is extremely important for health and for energy. And so since I like to sleep eight hours a day, if I don't get home until 10.30, and then I need some time to wind down, I'm probably not getting up till seven or even eight. And then that throws off my schedule completely. So I think this this year has been a little bit more challenging for me to do all the things that I want to do. And it's involved. And I'm also I'm involved in, you know, five businesses that are all I've invested in a lot of companies, but there are five that I'm actively involved in. And uh, they're all kind of picking up this year. So it's taken a little bit more of my time. And uh, my podcast, I've gone from one podcast a week to three podcasts a week. So that's taken a little bit more of my time. So I had to sacrifice a little bit on the writing, although I'm trying to figure out how to gain that back a little. You have, you have to make some trade-offs if you want to live a, a healthy and successful life. And so I'm just trying to figure out the trade-offs I can do to kind of get the writing back or if I even need to do those trade-offs. All right. Well, other than the sleep, what is, and I want to ask you something about that too, but, but other than the sleep, what is the one non-negotiable for you like every single day? Like this has to happen in your day or you're just going to be very upset or very uncomfortable? Well, in terms of the being very upset, I, I'd say I have to be creative every single day. Um, so so it used to mean I had to write every single day. But now it's I either write, I podcast, or I do stand-up comedy. I've given myself permission to to – not be upset of my, with myself if I don't write, if I'm okay if I do a podcast or if I do stand-up comedy, which is extremely creative and extremely 
difficult. It's the most difficult skill I've ever had to learn. And that includes business, chess, writing, and, and public speaking, and so many other skills. I can't even imagine. Like, I, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing I could think of other than maybe jumping out of a plane that would be more terrifying than that. But you do some crazy stuff. Like, like I want to know what it is that allows you to walk up to complete strangers and do these experiments. Like you, you walked up to people in one experiment and offered them a $2 bill in exchange for a $1 bill. I, I bet you loved Candy Camera when you were a kid. Uh, you know, Candy Camera was kind of like trailing off uh, when I when I was around. But yeah, I mean, I like that kind of stuff. And I always liked kind of reality, original reality TV kind of stuff, like in the 90s, like Taxi Cab Confessions on, on HBO, things like that. You know, things that kind of push the envelope a little bit in terms of media. But um, yeah, how do you but how do you do that? Like, how are you not afraid that they think you're insane or go up on stage and and like if they don't laugh, like, how do you not die? I am very afraid. I do die. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that to be and and look, stand up comedy sounds frivolous. Oh, just telling jokes on stage. But it's not like. Here's a here's an interesting thing. I've been doing public speaking for 15 years. But and I thought, oh, it's the same thing going on stage and talking to people who don't know you. Public speaking does not translate even 0% to better stand-up comedy, but stand-up comedy has made my public speaking probably 10 to 20 times better and more effective. I mean, stand-up comedy translates to so many different activities that it's actually a really worthwhile skill to learn. Like you say, it's 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 scary to go on stage. It's scary to un, to to deal with a crowd that's not emotionally responding to you. It's scary to figure out what kind of crowd this is. It's scary to try to figure out how to be likable to different types of crowds, and then to write things that create this visceral response in them where they can't even help themselves. They have to biologically laugh, and so it requires writing, confidence, uh, charisma you know, crowd control for better word, crowd work, uh, under reading a crowd in microseconds. So reading, you know, so you imagine that helps obviously in negotiating or, or if you're on TV or if you're on a podcast, you know, all these things are, there's, there's like maybe 50 different micro skills in standup comedy. And I would say humor is probably the third or fourth most important skill, not even the first, second or third most important skill in standup comedy. And, and to master it to, or to try to get better, you have to get better at all these sub skills kind of at the same time. And that's why, you know, people like Louis, you know, or any stand up comedian who, who you see on Netflix, they've probably been doing it between 15 and 30 years. Yeah. So you were just about to mention Louis C.K. and I was going to ask you about about that. Uh, so I know that. That, that you like his work. And, and it's funny because I really, my 17 year old really loves him too. And, and then between him and you and listening to your podcast and reading your stuff, I downloaded the, um, the whole series of Louie. And then the next day, like all that stuff broke loose. So what, so how, what do you think about all that? Like, what are you, how are you compartmentalizing that? It's hard to compartmentalize because, you know, now I watch, so after the news, I watched, uh, some episodes of Louie and it's hard to take the humor out of the context of the news at the same time though it doesn't mean you you know the guy is clearly one of the most skilled comedians in history so you know if I could take one of those skills 
then um, um, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Sure. Uh, Are you playing chess? No, I'm not playing chess. Uh, I don't have a mouse, so I, that prevents me from playing. That that's my discipline because I don't got a I don't I never got a mouse for this laptop, so that prevents me from playing online chess. Uh, but you play chess every day, don't you? No, not anymore. Um, I've I've stopped doing that because I just need to do other things now. Right. I I've right. really gotten you know I've had to make trade offs this year on on what I can do. So and and in part because of the stand up comedy takes a lot of time and energy. Now you could say, well, why do it then? It doesn't make any, me any money at all. But again, these skills translate to so many um, things. So do you have, I mean, how far do you want to take it? Are you doing it to just because like you're proving to yourself that you could slay this fear or you could become better and then that will be enough? Or do you like want to be having an HBO comedy special? I definitely don't want, I, I definitely have no goals for it. Like I don't want any particular special or anything, but um, I just want to, I just, I'm, I've always loved it. So, and I was always afraid to do it. So this past year, I've started obsessively doing it. Like I said, this week, I'm, I'm going up six times a week. And I really, it's just fascinating to me to take a new and difficult skill and learn it. Because again, it translates, it's like learning the language of learning. Like if I could learn this, and I shouldn't say if, like I have been learning this, it helps me to learn other things. Like every time I learn one thing, it makes the next thing easier to learn. And this one is so difficult to learn that... It translates to learning other things so quickly that it's like stuns me how, 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 how much it translates. Now, that's not the case for every stand-up comic. It just so happens uh, I'm really fascinated by the process of learning. So I try to figure out how to learn, like what it takes some people maybe 15 to 20 years to learn. I'm trying to figure out how to learn it as fast as possible and try to improve as fast as possible. And and are you enjoying it for the most part, or is it like a lot of pain and hurt feelings combined with a lot of like bliss? I, you know, it's hard to say enjoying. Like, um, what does enjoying mean? Like, nobody. Like, for instance, business is really hard. And and it, when I was, you know, starting my first business or or second business or third business, I didn't really enjoy them. They were really painful and, you know, I enjoyed some aspects of them, but I think again, to do, it's, it's what I've been saying to do very difficult things is you have to get through a lot of pain and you can't really expect joy from them. Like for instance, I might have fun playing chess, but I certainly never enjoy losing. And yet if I'm playing someone equal to me, I'll lose 50% of the time. And so I like playing the game and I like getting better at it, but it's never, it, it doesn't really seem to be about joy. It's more about, oh, I enjoyed, I, it's like, it's like, I want to do this and I want to get better. It's something pulls you to do the things that you love doing. I, I might love doing something, but I don't always enjoy it. For instance, having a baby, right, is uh Certainly something I love, like I love my baby more than anything when my wife had a baby and I, and you know, I was the father and, <laughs> but, but I didn't, there's almost nothing that's really enjoyable about it. Like I didn't like waking up at three in the morning and, you know, making some more milk and 
walking around with her while she was crying until she fell asleep. Like nobody really enjoys that. I mean, maybe you enjoy that for a second or two, but then it's really tiring and painful and annoying. And so now there's things about fatherhood that I, I love. Like I love being a father. I've never once not loved being a father, but I large periods of time. I certainly did not enjoy it. It was really hard. Okay. So I want to pick up there on you being a father because I do have a parenting question. So my oldest is 17 and uh, I had no idea that this junior year in high school thing even existed, like the chaos and the the intensity and the not from him. I mean, just the whole college process, looking at colleges and all that stuff. And you talk a lot about how, I mean, and if I'm paraphrasing this incorrectly, please please let me know. But you talk a lot about how basically school's a waste of time, like a soul crushing, money wasting, like endeavor. So what did you do with your kids? Because you have one who's older than 17, right? Uh, yeah, I have one that's 18 who's a freshman in college against, you know, against my every objection, just despite my every objection. Uh, so, so did you, were you like completely vocal about your thoughts and she had different ideas? Yeah, I was very vocal and, but I learned a lot about fatherhood through that. So for instance, kids don't have to listen to you. Most of the advice people give anyway is really bad advice, let alone the advice they give their children. So the best you can do is, is, is be a good person and, live by example. And, you know, I, I, there was one point I wanted to talk to her about the college thing when she was, I don't know, a, a junior in high school. And she just turned around and walked away while I was talking to her. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, I told her that's not really a polite thing to do to somebody. But at the same time, I was forcing her also to listen to my opinions about college. And so I had to figure out a way it was my challenge to figure out a way to talk to her so that she would listen to me, so that I would be an effective parent. So we were able to have the discussion, and she didn't agree with me, and I didn't want to make this the kind of pivotal point of our relationship together. So I still don't think she should go to college. I still don't think kids should go to college, but she's going to college. But what if the kid doesn't have like an entrepreneurial gene, you know, in their body that you could see? Well, I don't recommend that they be an entrepreneur. I don't necessarily think that's, let's say you wanted to be an artist. Okay. The opposite, people think artistry is being an artist is the opposite of entrepreneur. That's why I picked that. Or, or let's say you want to be an actress. All right. Don't go to college and learn the most important beginning skill there is for an actress, which is learn how to audition and take acting lessons on the side, which is, which is, you know, much less time consuming and leaves you time for auditioning and you can make some money and not get into debt or spend all the money that college costs. And the acting lessons you'll learn in independent acting classes will be at least as good or if not better than what you learn in college. Well, well, okay. Then they won't learn math in college. Well, you don't learn math anyway in college. Like how many of us re remember calculus? from college or how many of us, I mean, I, I was on a podcast recently um, with a very well-known podcast and the guy told me he had majored in European history. And so I said, oh great, tell me when 
Charlemagne was born, the most important emperor in European history in the past 2,000 years. The guy united all of Europe. And he said um, something like, he thought about it for a second, he said, oh, I think I'm like in the 1350s. And I said, and you know, I can't, sitting here now even, I've given this in a talk a thousand times, I can't even remember. I think it was around the 750s. I sure don't know. He, he was 600 years off and he majored in European history. So it's not like college really, oh, people say, oh, well, they learn culture and everything. I don't know. I majored in computer science. I went to graduate school in computer science. And I didn't really learn the, the art and beauty of reading and then writing until I was in my 20s. And that's how I built my career. And so, um, you know, I, I think college really slows people down. Now, where is college good? Well, college is good if you feel you need another four years spending time with people exactly your age, exactly your demographic. So, but that's the last time you ever do that in life. So it's not even a skill that you use later on in life. It's not like you build social skills that you use later on. I mean, when I was in college, all my friends were 18, 19, and 20 years old, 21 years old. I never, since then, I don't think I have any friends my age right now. Like they're all, I have friends from 20 years older than me to 20 years younger than me. I don't know if any of my close friends are exactly my age. So it never really happens again after college. Yeah, but what about the idea of like, you don't know what you don't know. So when you go to college and, and if you do like the liberal arts thing and you take, you know, sociology 101, you take an advertising class, you take psychology, you take Spanish, you take an art class, a theater class, like whatever – then all of a sudden, you know, there's somebody there that inspires you and leads you in a direction that you never would have gone in if you were, if you didn't do that, if you thought you wanted to be an actor. And so you started waiting tables and you started taking acting classes and, but that's all you're doing. Yeah, I agree with that. But is that, is that the optimal use of 100 or $200,000 or whatever it is you're going to spend on? I mean, you can also do that for free by taking courses on Coursera and some other online, you know, uh, there's, there's so many online education sites. And by the way, I'm like, I live four blocks from a, a bookstore. I could just go to the cafe and read a book for free or go to the library and spend nothing. So maybe you need to spend $200,000 or $100,000 to get those skills. And, and by the way, there's cheaper ways to do it too. But, um, and maybe you need to get into debt to get exposed to those things. But there's also ways to get exposed to all those things without spending that kind of money. Yep. Okay. I hear you. I, I, you know, it's just we're having a lot of this conversation now. So uh, I thought, wow, I'm going to ask, you know, I definitely want to ask you that while I had you on the on the call. And uh, and now I I would be so dumb if I didn't ask you some podcasting stuff since I just started this podcast. You're an expert and I have you here. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you just a few po podcasting questions. Absolutely. Congratulations on Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm quite enjoying it. I think that uh I mean I definitely have have a lot to learn, but I just think this is uh really just such a cool thing. Um and I want to know how do you prepare for your podcast? Like very like specifically, do you do you have an outline? Do you have notes? Do you just wing it? Do you do a ton of research? And how do you pick your guests? I do a ton of research. So um, but let's start off with how I pick my guests. So I pick guests who are peak performers at what they do. So a lot of times people come to me and say, oh, I started a business out of nothing 
and I was broke just like you and now my business makes five million in revenues a year. Can I go on your podcast? And my answer to that is no, not because they're doing anything wrong, they're doing everything right. But that's just not the um, what I pick, that's not the focus of my, my focus of my podcast is not business. The focus of my podcast is, is peak performance, people who are, who are the best in the world who are, who, or who are close to being the best in the world or who at some point were the best in the world at some field or activity. And then I want to simply learn. My goal is I don't want to interview them for everyone else, although that's a, certainly a, a side effect. But my goal is I want to learn how to be better at the things I love doing. So I want to learn again, the lang- almost like the meta language of learning. How did they get so good at, it's one thing to be talented, but to be the best in the world at something, you have to take that extra step, that extra level that a billion other people don't take. And I want to learn what those steps are. So for the things that I'm trying to get better at, I can apply what they say and really listen to them and, and do it. And um, so, so I pick guests that fall in that category. Um, it might be uh, it might be Sarah Blakely, which is, is a business example. So I think she's like the only self-made female billionaire on the Forbes list. Yeah, you know, her and yep. Oprah. Um, but Sarah Blakely made uh, Spanx, and um, I had Gary Kasparov, who, who was the world chess champion. I had Tony Hawk, who was the world skateboarding champion. I had Ariana Huffington. I had um, I've had on everything from athletes to writers to artists. I had on Amanda Palmer, I had on Jewel, uh, I had on all these astronauts. I had Judy Bloom, one of my favorite writers as a child. She came on my podcast, sold, has sold 150 million copies of her books. So to prepare is very hard because I want to be really respectful of their time and, and what they do. And I want to ask the right questions that no one's ever asked them before. So I I read Everything they've written, I try to. I mean, if they've written 50 books, like if their job is a writer and they've written 50 books, I can't read 50 books. But I try to, to read what I can. I, I watch any TED Talks that they've given or other talks. I listen to them on other podcasts. Sometimes I, I hire other people to make lists of questions for me just so I can compare those lists with questions that I might have. I, ju- I take very detailed notes. And then I try to do it as close as possible to the podcast as possible so that everything's like in like literally all of the things about this person is in the frontal lobe of my brain, like in my short term memory. And so then it's very easy to access from that point. And then sometimes it's weird, like sometimes right after the podcast, it gets flushed from the short term memory and hasn't had time yet to move to my long term memory. And I won't even be able to remember who it was I had a podcast with an hour earlier. Like it's weird how the brain works. But so I try to take notes during the podcast of what I learned or what I'm learning during the podcast so that I could then apply it to my life or else I'll forget completely the podcast unless I listen to it later. What if you have a a podcast with someone who's super boring just to not give you what maybe you didn't get what you what you wanted had hoped to get or they just really weren't a good interview and you do you just air the episode anyway or has that never happened to you no no but so out of 300 interviews it's happened three times and did you use it no i don't air them like have you had any guests that just had like really weird any weird diva requests like don't look at me in the eyes or i want green tea yeah and then i usually don't have them on (laughs) And- because part, part part of being a peak performer, it, usually the best in the world 
are very kind, nice people. Because part of being a peak performer is garnering the support of an entire community of people around you to help you. And you have to have a certain charisma to do that. So usually the very diva people don't qualify for my podcast. I'll give as a great example, a great counter example, Seth Godin, who's a, a well-known yes. um, and a business writer and great business writer. I would say the best in the world at what he does. When we sit down to do the podcast and then he gets up and he asks me, hey, can I get you a glass of water? So that's that's the kind of podcast guest that I like. That's so nice. And it's nice to hear that uh, somebody I like so much is, is nice like that in real life as well. He's a very good and nice person. And he's been on my podcast, I think, three times. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love Seth and I love you. And I think people I think people would put you both in similar. You're similar in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you're both Menchie. Uh, but but we're able to get to know you. I would say, like, I feel like I know you so much more than than Seth. Like Seth doesn't really talk much about him, himself, like personally. I've noticed that, too, in his writing. I think he focuses on principles and, and things he'd like to teach. I sort of feel like he's smarter than me, and so he should be teaching, and I just can teach through story. So, so, and what story is, uh, you know, sometimes you tell stories about others, but uh, most of my stories I tell about me and things I've learned and, and things, not even things that I've learned, because you don't ever really know if you've learned something, but just things that I've gone through and what I tried to learn. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, we're just lucky that we have both of you. All right. So now I want to, uh, the people in my community, the front row had a, had a few questions for you. So do you mind if I, uh, if I throw some of their questions your way real quick? Absolutely. So Anthony wants to know, how do you deal with the haters? You don't have any haters. Oh my God. I have so many haters. Oh, oh let me see. I'm going to just go on Twitter right now and like uh, read me uh, tweets. Yeah, I get, I get mean tweets. Oh, oh, actually, the last set are pretty good. I just get mean stuff all the time, but I ignore it. I usually block people right away. Even if someone's like a friend of mine, if they send something to me that's like, oh, that's odd that he would send something so mean and cruel, uh, I'll just block them. I don't care. I don't, I don't need that in my life. Life's short. Yeah, I kind of think that I think that about Sometimes I'll notice when I'm scrolling through the Facebook feed, like if anything makes me feel bad at all, I just turn like I block it, I turn it off. And that, that yeah, really, you know, it works. People are allowed to have constructive criticism. I mean, look, people are allowed to do whatever they want. But for me, people are allowed to have constructive criticism and have a dialogue with me. I'll always engage in a dialogue with people who disagree with me. But if someone's just going to say, oh, James Altucher is a cancer on Twitter, then that person is just blocked. Obviously, they've got their own mental problems to say such a thing. And, and you know, they're just projecting whatever problems they have onto me. And I, I didn't I don't even know the guy. Why would he say that? So it, it, maybe I have to admit it might bother me for a second, but then I just block and, and don't I block it in my head, too. What about reviews of your comedy? Like, uh, what if somebody says something bad about your, like, do, do they? I mean, are there reviews, like, that come out uh, from people that see your stand-up? Or is it just sort of, like, verbal feedback? Uh, you know, it's not like people write a Yelp review about your comedy or anything. Like, And I have no YouTube videos of my comedy because, uh, you know, while I'm learning, there's no point in me 
I'm not again because I'm not trying to go on the Colbert show or anything. There's no reason for me to to put up YouTube videos yet. I mean, maybe at some point in the future there'll be a reason. But uh, and also I use the same. I don't change. You know, if I'm going up six times this week, I'm going to use probably most of the same jokes each time. I'm trying to perfect a joke instead of uh, perfecting. 10 different jokes every single time. And uh, so I don't want to what's called burn my jokes by having them on YouTube. Then people will know in advance what I'm going to say. But if somebody, if, 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 if I bomb in comedy, like if an audience doesn't laugh or if they're talking or if they, or worse yet, if they heckle me, which, which has happened, but is very rare. Uh, I, I, I'll get upset. Yeah, of course it doesn't feel good, but you have to always remember those are the only times you can really learn. So for instance, last night I went up and everybody laughed at every joke I had, which actually is sort of frustrating because how can I learn from that? There's nothing I can learn. I can, I can maybe guess how I could be better, but that's just a guess. I, everybody already laughed at everything I did, so what can I do better? And so I was even saying to a friend of mine, kind of disappointed because I feel like I'm not taking enough risks if people are laughing right now at every single joke. Um, so I kind of have to uh, push myself a little more and, I, and, and I'm having a problem with that. I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know where, I mean, I've been doing this a year, so I've ended up where I'm at right now and I have to figure out the next step to push myself. I push myself really a lot in a lot of ways and I've gotten kind of, I've, I've, I've almost gotten kind of back in my comfort zone of, okay, Here's the part of comedy where I know I'm good and now I'm, now I've built up the skills so I'm comfortable. So now I have to figure out what's the next way to get out of my comfort zone with this. So are you going to have like a whole bunch of um, of your favorite comedians come on the podcast so you can ask them? Oh, I've already done that. I've already I've already been doing that. I'm on the case. So who who do you want on your podcast that you've had a hard time getting on or do you not want to share that? Um, no, I mean, everybody's been pretty easy to, not, I don't want to say easy to get on. Like for instance, some comedians I can't get on. I can't, I asked Amy Schumer on, I asked Jim Gaffigan on, but they don't need to go on my podcast. They have very, you know, they're busy right now. And I'm not saying the comedians that have been on my podcast haven't been busy. They've also been extremely busy, but I've, you know, if someone's about to promote a Netflix special, it's a a little easier to get them on my podcast because it's promotional for them and it's learning for me. But if someone's not promoting anything, it's much harder to get them on my podcast. I bet Sarah Silverman would like your like to be on your podcast. Has she already been on? She hasn't been on, but I, I know my producer is figuring out how to reach out to her. And I've had like lots of great comedians on. I mean, I had on Jim Norton, Adam Carolla, Marina Franklin, Gar- Gary Goldman. So some of these might not be common names, but I consider them among the best comedians in the world. And... Um, I've had on many, many comedians who were, who were great, great comedians. New York City alone has a thousand working comedians. And in the U.S., there's probably 5,000 working comedians. Now, not all of them are great, but let's say some percentage of them are great. And Netflix is only going to do 50 comedy specials. So there are a lot of really great, talented, funny people who might not fit the mold of a Netflix special or a TV sitcom. But they're super funny and they have great skills and there's great things that I want to learn from them. And I'll I'll always invite them on my podcast and make it come on again and again and again because I'm always learning. 
Yeah, I was about to say, I bet that you're just, you're learning tons from them. I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, you had a woman on and she told the funniest joke that I tried to retell and it didn't come out as funny, but it was like, I can't stand my therapist. She's, she's oh, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, a refugee. Bonnie McFarlane, first off, is a great, great comedian. One of the best comedians in the world. She's also married to Rich Voss, who's a, one of the best in the world. They have a podcast together. The podcast is called My Wife Hates Me. And her point there was before you even think about making the punchline funny, why don't you try making the premise funny? So her premise is that her therapist is like from Beirut or, or, or her therapist like escaped from ISIS. And so when she says like, I'm feeling really depressed, like where do I put my couch? And like the therapist is just, she doesn't even have a punchline yet, right? It's just kind of these premises about this therapist who escaped from ISIS. But just like almost anything you could think there, it sounds funny. Right. The reason you can't think of the joke to say is because she actually doesn't have a joke around it yet. That's the next step. But it shows you how important it is to even just have a funny premise is really difficult. And then to come up with a, a funny punchline off a funny premise, it will work because the premise itself is funny. It's just, but that's how much time she puts into writing like three or four lines with a funny premise and then a funny punchline. And then her delivery has to be good. Her, her voice has to be good. Like she has to be kind of whiny. Her, her way of playing with the crowd, she has to make sure because she's so annoying in that persona, she has to make sure the crowd still likes her after the joke. And that's extremely difficult. So, so having someone like Bonnie McFarlane on, even just those two minutes where she was talking about that one particular premise, which again is not a joke, it's just a premise, that was fascinating to me. You know, and hearing you talk about all the technicalities of it, like I wonder if you can watch comedy now without and enjoy it in the way that you used to without dissecting it so like surgically. Not, not, not at all. I, I can't watch comedy the same way, which is great because – it's like, uh, you know, so like playing chess. So when I was a little kid, I could see two people playing chess and, oh, who's going to checkmate the king? You know, I would think about very few things. Now when I watch a game of chess, I'm looking at a hundred different things. And it makes the, ple uh, the pleasure of watching chess is, has gone up so much for me just because I'm good at it. And I learned all the subtleties and the nuances. And it's, it's a pleasure for me for the rest of my life because – I did the hard work of getting getting good. It was really, really hard to get good at it. And it's the same thing with comedy. When I watch, you know, I watched Aziz Ansari do a special the other day. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's setting up a broad premise. Uh, then, he's, then he's setting a specific example in his life. Then he's kind of acting out her voice, then his voice. And then, and it's funny, the act out is funny. That's kind of where the punchline is. And then he does something even extra absurd. Uh, and I noticed every single one of his jokes had that format. So you, you kind of pick up on for each comedian what their what format is all are, are their jokes and um, and what they're trying what they are trying to achieve with their humor. Well, I am reading Reinvent Yourself. I'm almost done with it. It's outstanding. It's so inspirational. It's so funny. You're so funny. And so I guess you know, you're really walking the talk. You are reinventing yourself, at, you know, as we speak in your comedy club. Like what's next that we can consume from you that you want to tell our audience about? Like what 
Do you have a new book out? Is that the latest one? Uh, your cryptocurrency course? Like, where can we find you and what you're up to next? I think if you go to my website, jamesaltasher.com, it's pretty, it has links to everything. But my book, Choose Yourself or Reinvent Yourself, are both good. Choose Yourself is probably a little more popular. And um, if you type into Google, I want to die, I'm usually the third or fourth result. So that's one way to find me. That's kind of the easiest way to find me. Uh, you know, on my podcast, The James Altucher Show, I, I, have, I have lots of things, lots of places where you can find me. I'm definitely not hiding. That's for sure. Hey, I got to ask you on the, on the, I want to die. I was wondering, I got lost in the comment thread. It's so for the, for those listening who haven't read it, it's, it's about how, uh, you were, you were pretty feeling pretty down and out. And, uh, and the people who commented, I mean, I was in tears reading the comments and I wondered, like, do you feel a sense of responsibility now with that thread that you need to jump, keep an eye on it? Because, there's some heavy stuff in there. There is some heavy stuff in there. And I got to be careful because I am just telling my story. I'm not like a suicide prevention expert. Right. Or a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach. I'm not any of these things. And I just write about what I do and what's happened to me. So people maybe relate to some of it. So they put stuff in the comments. But then if it's serious enough, they should really you know, seek help, uh, from people who are, who are, who are trained to do help in those things. I think that's why I used to be number one in the, if for, I want to die and Google manually changed their algorithm to put the national suicide profession hotline above me. Yeah. Thank goodness. The only time they ever manually changed their algorithm. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, you have been like beyond generous. Uh, thank you so much for keeping your word. You know, you certainly didn't need to do my tiny little podcast. Pleasure, Jen. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you started this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, James. And um, we're headed into a new year. I wish you a really happy uh, 2018. And I just I can't wait to see what you're up to next. Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. You too. And let me know if uh, if you need any help with anything. So All right. thanks. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. That wraps up episode number four. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And make sure if you aren't already a member of my free online community called The Front Row, head on over to jenlaner.com forward slash front row and join today. It's free and we really have a great time in there. So I look forward to seeing you. Also, if you have an Alexa app, um, or I should say, if you have an Alexa in your home, open up your Alexa app and type in Front Row Entrepreneur, and you'll see my little logo pop up. And what you'll do is add that as a skill in your Alexa app. So now you could go walk into your living room or your kitchen and say, hey, Alexa, or you don't say, hey, Alexa, play my flash briefings. And you'll hear me giving you a short, like two to three minute update of all the latest, greatest things that are happening in social media marketing and online business. See you next time.